0: we we'll are coming to the end of our series, looking at the fruits of the Spirit. We've been spending seven weeks looking through uh, these beautiful characteristics, these characteristics of Christ. This picture of who he is, uh, as we've seen through these nine characteristics. And as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, we've been really just driving home that these are characteristics of, of someone who is good. But that, that isn't really the point that, that Christ is, is driving As by the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul pens these words. He is describing to us what it looks like to live a life of true beauty. Not just a good life, not just being good people, but a life of true beauty. And we spent the last three weeks of the series walking through nice and slow these nine characteristics and just seeing what they look like. And, And we haven't been able to help ourselves but to look to Jesus because he is the perfect embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. And we spent some time looking at what they are and really encouraging us all as God's people to, to live these characteristics out, to be people who, who mirror the goodness of Christ, as we see in these verses. And we could really have stopped at the end of last week and said, OK, well, there we go. Let's just get on and do it. Love, joy, peace, patience. We, we know what they are. Let's just get on and do it. Let's do those things. Let's love. Let's, let's be joyful. Let's be a peaceful people. But we've intentionally given one more week to the series because, because naturally here's what happens when we hear, when we hear the word of God being, being preached to us and being taught to us. And we hear instructions. We want to go away and do it. But also we need to live in the reality that no matter how hard we try, we will fail. And the reality is a lot of us have heard those nine characteristics that we'll read in a minute time and time again. And we've tried to live them out. And maybe you're even there now. That you're walking in the frustration of not seeing much fruit at all. That you know that you're a believer. You know that you're a follower of Christ. You know what it is to, to live and to follow and to walk by the Spirit and to, and, to, and to embody these fruits. But the reality is in your life at the moment, you find yourself in a place of frustration because you're, you're not seeing much fruit, if any like you're really struggling to love like Christ. You're struggling to have peace and joy like Christ. And that really is one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter. The apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia two years after he started. And he's taught them who Jesus is. He's, he's taught them the gospel. He's really showed them as well in his life what it looks like to have godly character. And yeah, if you look down at chapter five, verse seven, you'll see the, the, the hidden problems. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? They're coming up against the same frustration that we feel. People are writing reports back to Paul saying, I know you've taught us all this stuff. I know you've showed us what it is to live a godly life, but we're struggling. Other people are struggling. Like we don't seem to see these godly characteristics in each other. And we feel that same frustration. I wonder even this week, You've asked yourself the question as anger has descended, why am I still battling with this? Or impatient, why am I still, again, I've heard this for seven weeks, why am I still being impatient? Why can't I love that person like Christ loves them? We get frustrated with the lack of fruit or maybe at best, the slow growth of fruit in our lives. Well, will read Really, we're going to see as we just finish out looking at chapter five this afternoon. We can find hope in the midst of that frustration in the context of the passage. Remember the metaphor that Paul is using here? Fruit. He's intentional in, in saying that this is the fruit of the Spirit. And we've looked at how this metaphor is a metaphor that, that really Paul is pulling all the way through Scripture, all the way from the garden back in Genesis. But, but he's specifically using fruit as a metaphor here to, to, to give us a window into how these characteristics are going to work out in our life. And so for the last time, not ever, but just for this series, I'm going to read to us chapter 5. Verse 16 to 24. And we're going to learn what it looks like to nurture the fruit. In the midst of frustration where we might see no fruit or slow fruit, what does it look like to nurture it? To see it grow in our lives. So let me read Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. For if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for how we've been encouraged already this afternoon of, of how it has brought about a great change in many of our lives. Thank you that it is the power for salvation. Thank you that it is the power for ongoing transformation too. And so we ask this afternoon, as we hear it, as we unpack it, as we walk through it, we ask that you would help us to respond rightly. We believe that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray that by the power of your spirit, that you would change us. Holy Spirit, do a work that would, that would lead us to be more like the sun, in conduct and in character, not for our glory, but for his glory alone. Amen. Um, my dad retired a number of years ago. And one of the first things that he did, it was one of the first things on his wish list was to get an allotment. Now, he lives in Birkenhead, so it was quite easy for him to get a patch of grass over here, like gold dust, aren't they? Like you have to wait for, you probably get a hip replacement sooner you know, than you might get an allotment over here. Like it is hard to get one, but my dad got one quite soon and he really committed to it. The plot that he got he inherited off a young family who had great ambitions which fizzled out after a few weeks and the plot was just riddled with weeds and grass and rubbish people had thrown rubbish over from the road and so from day one dad's task was to clean this thing up and so he'd go every day and he'd be digging up grass and pulling up weeds and taking uh, uh, boot loads of rubbish to the tip and he did that for a whole year continually pull up weeds as they'd pop up again he'd think he'd clear one patch and then something else would pop up somewhere somewhere on the other end of the plot and he'd be trimming back brambles and and just really clearing and making space to 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 grow just (laughs) even just a little bit of stuff but it took him a whole year to get to a point where he could uh, grow anything there's only one thing that survived everything on the plot uh, got got cut down or taken away there was one thing that survived a beautiful cherry tree in the middle of the allotment and it, it would grow tons of cherries on it. For a whole year dad grew nothing. After that year of, of preparation and just getting it ready he planted his seeds but then he carried on removing the weeds. The weeds would pop up again and so he'd keep on digging. He'd add compost and manure and good things to the ground and some of the plants and vegetables would grow well, others didn't. And they were in the, maybe the wrong place in the plot. So over the years, he'd move them around and make sure they had the right amount of light. Some of the plants would get disease. And so he researched, he didn't really know much about it. So he talked to some of the other guys on the plot and asked them what to do with, with this certain disease. And he'd read a little bit on YouTube and worked out what sorts of remedies that he needed. And then he'd watch for predators as well, slugs, snails, foxes, birds and he'd work out the ways that he needed to keep them away. This cherry tree in the middle of the plot was his, uh, is his pride and joy. And uh, for maybe two or three days in the year, it would give out a bumper crop. It was a beautiful tree. In spring, it would have these beautiful... Um, had It still has, I'm talking past tense. The cherry tree is still alive and so is my dad, so we can talk in present tense. <laughs> the cherry tree in spring has this beautiful uh, pink blossom. And it just smells amazing and there's bits of blossom kind of fly all over the allotment but then at the end of may going into june there's like a few day window where these cherries turn and you have a few days to get them because sitting on the rooftops around the allotment are birds crows and pigeons and they're sitting there waiting like they know and they know exactly when the cherries are going to turn and they're waiting for dad to leave the plot and lock up and as soon as he's gone they would dive in. And this is no joke, no exaggeration. Literally, in the the space of a couple of days, they would decimate the tree and they would take all of this beautiful crop of cherries. And so dad took action. In about year two or three, he constructed a a, a big fence around the tree and loads of nets around the tree to keep the birds away. And now he has lots of cherries around around that time of year. Looking back at dad's allotment journey here's what he learned. If you want to grow fruit, you have to put in the effort. If you want to grow fruit, if you want to grow lots of fruit and healthy fruit, you need to learn how to garden. You need to know what to put in the soil. You need to know what's a weed and what's not a weed. We learn that as kids, don't we, quite soon. We need to learn what disease is like. What's black spot? What's powdery mildew? We need to learn how to remedy those diseases. We need to learn how to defend against the hungry pigeon who's sitting on the rooftop. The work of the gardener is a particular kind of work. And it isn't a work to grow the fruit. Dad didn't grow any of his fruit. It doesn't grow any of his vegetables. Dad's work as a gardener is to remove the things that hinder the growth so if you think about those cherries what was it that grew the cherries was it was it dad no ultimately the thing that grew the cherries was the sun um, the the rains that came and kind of fed the ground the nutrients in the soil the perfect balance of different gases in the atmosphere dad didn't grow the cherries dad's job was to remove the things that hindered its growth. The pigeon, the crow, the disease. Now let's think of this fruit. And by the way, just to set the score, they're grapes, not blueberries. I know that's been the question you've all been waiting to to have answered over the last seven weeks. They're grapes. Let's think of the fruit of the spirit. Let's think of that frustration that we feel. When we know what it is to live a godly life, But we struggle with seeing much fruit in our lives. We see no fruit or we see little fruit. Well, let's ask the same question. Who grows the fruit? This is the fruit of the altogether spirit. God grows the fruit. We don't grow the fruit. The Spirit of God grows the fruit that we've just read. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God grows those fruits. But we can hinder that growth. We can hinder it. See, I can't make myself more like Jesus but I can hinder that process. I can't make myself more godly, but I can slow that process down. I can extinguish that work. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says, says, we can quench this Holy Spirit, we can quench the Spirit. And he's talking about this picture of the Holy Spirit being like a fire, a flame, wanting to bring change and transformation in our lives. And there are things that we can do that is like pouring cold water on top of it, dampening his work hindering the work that he wants to do in our lives, metaphorically letting the weeds run riot and the predators have a free-for-all. See, the theology of the Holy Spirit through the Bible is this this constant picture of partnership. The Holy Spirit is the agent of change in the lives of God's people. He is constantly working to reveal more of the beauty of Christ in the lives of God's people, but we have a role too. We're not passive, in the fruit of the Spirit. We're not passive in this work. We are, like, we are like gardeners who move the things out of the way that are going to stand in the progress of our godliness, removing the obstacles that stand in the way of the Holy Spirit doing what he wants to do, which is making us more like Christ. That is his great goal. Then we see that right at the start of this series, the great ambition of God is that his glory would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And the way that he is going to do that is through his people bearing the fruit of godliness as they spread across these lands. And the Holy Spirit is, is determined to do that work in God's people, to refine us, to conform us, to make us more like Christ. And our work in that partnership is to remove the obstacles that stand in his way of doing that. So let me say this, if you are struggling to see a growth in love, in joy, particularly Christ-like love, Christ-like joy, Christ-like peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're struggling to see a growth in those areas, if your reflex response to being wronged is still anger and not kindness, if you're still running to anxiety instead of peace when things go out of your control, If the fruit of the Spirit seems slow to grow, then here's what we need to do. We need to tend to our spiritual life so that the fruit of the Spirit can grow unhindered. Tend to our spiritual life so the fruit of the Spirit can grow unhindered. What's that going to look like? Well, firstly, if you pop the first one up for us, it looks like clearing out the weeds of sin. Clearing out the weeds of sin. If you... Have a little look at Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 5. This is the Apostle Paul speaking again, and this is what he says. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he goes on and lists uh, different idolatries, different struggles of sin. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death, therefore, things that stand against the will of God in your life. Put to death, therefore, Sin. puts sin to death. And, and the call to put sin to death doesn't mean that we kind of identify an area of sin and we cut it out and it magically goes. Like this is more like a habitual weakening of sin's root. Like think of the allotment. Go back to the allotment and think of the weeds and how dad contended with the weeds. Like he'd clear up the weeds in this area And then a few months later, they'd pop up over there. And then they'd pop up over there. But over time, there was a gradual weakening of that weed in the allotment. It didn't happen overnight. But over time, he saw less and less the power of those weeds in the allotment. The things that were hindering the growth of of real, lovely fruit. And it's the same with sin in our lives, folks. By the grace of God, sometimes when we come to him and confess and repent of sin, it goes just like that. But usually... It is a gradual, habitual weakening of sin at the root. It is a daily battle against sin. It is fighting against sin with every fibre of our body. And can I encourage you, I know some of us are coming in here this afternoon just having contended with it, even this week, the same sin which just seems to pop up again over there and we think that we've kind of done with it and dealt with it at the root and then it pops up again over there. Can I encourage you, keep going. Keep putting it to death. Keep trying to dig it up at the roots. It is a gradual weakening. And one day, we pray this side of glory, it will be gone. But the promise is one day it will go. But here's what we need to know, folks we don't, we don't defeat sin in our own strength. Our help comes from Christ. We see that in those verses there in Colossians put to death, therefore. Paul is is linking this this mortification, this death of sin to what came before. And what came before is a glorious picture of the gospel. It is the death of Christ. Paul is taking our heads and taking it back to the cross, helping us see the crucified Lord Jesus. And he's saying that is where your strength for putting sin to death comes from. It's not in you. You are no match for sin. You can't dig it up at the root. You need the power of Christ at work in your life. John Owen who was a 16th century puritan said this and it is beautiful Christ's blood is the great sovereign remedy for sin sick souls Christ's blood is the poison that goes to the root of our sin and kills it not our own strength Christ's blood is the remedy for sin sick souls We have no hope outside of Christ. We have no hope outside of the cross. Hope for salvation and hope for godliness. Now, folks, if you are trying to make a way to be right before God without looking to the cross and putting your hope in the crucified Lord Jesus, you have no chance. And if you are trying to pursue a life of godliness without turning your head and looking at the crucified Lord Jesus, you have no chance. Our growth in the fruit of the Spirit is empowered by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's Him that helps us put our sin to death. So tend to your spiritual life by cleaning out sin and trusting in the power of the cross. Secondly, fill your life with what is good. If you go back to Galatians chapter 5, look down at verse 24 with me. Paul says this after listing out the fruit. He says, all those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul's doing it again. He's taking our heads and turning it to the cross. Why does he do that? After listing out the fruits of the spirit and before that we we had the work of the flesh, right? Why does he then footnote this with with a reminder of, of the work of the cross? Well, because Paul knows the human heart. He knows that as soon as he puts a list in front of someone, what are we inclined to do? Tick it off. Like I'm the worst of the worst for this. I write lists to write lists. Like that, that's what I do. That's how we function. A lot of us, we love just to see a list because we think, right, I can do that. And we start ticking it off one by one. And Paul footnotes both of those lists, both of the work of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit to remind us you can not do this on your own. Look to the cross. Look to Christ Jesus. He soaks the fruit in the truth of the gospel. He wants us to see that our growth of godliness stems more from who we are than what we do. You can try and tick off that list as much as you can. You will fail. And if you don't know who you are before God, then you are going to be, be heaped and, and kind of covered in shame and guilt because you think, I'm not right before him. Paul reminds us no. You belong to Christ. You're his. And you've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When Christ Jesus died on the cross, so did the old man. So did the old woman. The old Neil, who who, that list there of the works of the flesh, who was embodied and identified with those things, he died. Over 2,000 years ago, he died with my saviour, Jesus. He's gone. And so Paul is reminding us and helping us to see that, that godliness comes from who you are, not what you do. And what does he say that we are? We're new creations. We're a new humanity. Our old humanity died on the cross with Jesus and the life that we live now, we live by the Spirit. Folks, as we, as we come in, we're reminded of the fruit of the Spirit and we will try and embody these things and try and walk in them. We need to remember we're not trying to live as a better human. We are living as a new human. Through the finished work of the cross, we have been made new, recreated, with new desires, with new affections. And so just like a fruitful garden needs to be filled with goodness, with compost, with manure, with water, with all of the things it needs, so our spiritual life needs to be filled with what is good if we want to see growth. And what is good is found in the gospel. So if you want to grow in these in these characteristics. If you want to see this fruit grow in your life, then soak yourself in the gospel every day. Memorize scripture. Memorize verses like chapter 5, verse 17 that remind you of who you are. Memorize verses like Galatians two 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer <laughs> I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Soak yourself in the gospel every day. Remember who you are. Remember who Christ is, and remember who you are in light of who he is. So, when chaos descends and temptation comes to take a choice of either anger or gentleness, you can remember who you are in that moment. The old Neil would have gone that way, but that's not me anymore. He's dead. And so, I'm going to choose gentleness, I'm going to choose kindness. But those things won't come naturally, folks. We need to fill our lives with what is good. Soak ourselves with the gospel every day. And here's the next thing we do. We guard against predators. We guard against predators. Do you remember in the allotment, the pigeon? The crow sitting on the roof? There were all sorts of predators in dad's allotment. Slugs, he'd be one of those guys who'd go out with a head torch at night. It's the only way you can get them. You've got to catch them in the act and he picked the slugs off. He picked the snails off one by one and deal with them very inhumanely. <laughs> but here's what dad did. When he saw the predators come in, he put up the defences. He didn't passively sit back and watch someone steal all the fruit. He put up the defences. And it's the same in the Christian life. Let's not be blase. Let's not be blind, folks. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly working against us. They are watching and waiting for signs of life. And as soon as they see a sprout of life, a sprout of goodness, godliness in our life, they want to swoop down and steal it. And we know what that feels like. Like how many of us have been in that season of fruitfulness? And we just seem to be walking so well in the Lord. Like we know very well what it means to walk after the Spirit. We feel it. Like we're in the word. We're dependent on God in prayer. We're, we're immersed in the community of God's people. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. And we find ourselves in a rut and it's like, whoa, what happened? Like, where did all that just go? We find ourselves struggling and it just feels like we're working against the grain. What do we need to do? Put our defenses up. The most useful passage we can go to, you'll probably know it if you're familiar with God's word, is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. I'm not going to read it all, but you'll probably be familiar with what Paul encourages the church here with. He talks about the armour of God, the whole armour of God. Let me just read the first few verses for us, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Stay alert. He goes on to say, we stand on the promises of God. We pray for each other. We put on this spiritual armor. We learn where our weaknesses are and we put the defenses up. We need to know we're in a spiritual battle, folks. Our enemies are coming for us. The devil does not want us to be more like Jesus. He's coming for us. Haven't we already read in verse 17, Galatians 5, our flesh is waging war against the spirit. Our flesh doesn't want us to conform into the glorious beauty of Christ. And around every corner in the world, there are temptations dragging us away from God in us, trying to pull us back to those works of the flesh. We are in a spiritual battle, so we need to have our eyes open for that. We need to see and look around and see where they are and put our defences up. And if you know where your weaknesses are, then concentrate your effort there. Like if you know that you're prone to be impatient when you don't get good sleep, do something about getting better sleep, get help. If you know that you're prone to temptation and you have a lack of self-control when you're on your own, then spend as much time as you can with God's people. Work out where your weaknesses are and put up the defences with the help of God. Tend to our spiritual life by guarding against predators. And then lastly, tend to your spiritual life by learning the seasons. Now this one might seem a little bit off beat but actually I think this is maybe this is the one that we need to hear I think if you've been a Christian for a while you know that in order to grow in godliness you need to deal with sin in order to grow in godliness you need to gospel yourself preach the gospel to yourself being God's word you know that you need to resist the devil and, and make sure that, that, that he doesn't have a foothold but what about suffering How could suffering actually be maybe one of the most fruitful things in our pursuit of godliness? Back to the allotment for the last time. There's a time in the year when when you walk through dad's allotment, it's like Eden, right? There's blossom flowing in the air, there's bees kind of buzzing around. Everything's sprouting up. The pears are kind of weighing heavy on the tree. The cherries are getting ready to go with the net over. We know we're going to enjoy some. You can see that there's life under the ground because, because the potato stalks are popping up and there's butterflies floating through. You walk through the garden and it looks beautiful. Now, if you went and paid a visit to the allotment now, it'd look very different. Nothing. Nothing. A bare tree in the middle of the plot. Lots of mud. It doesn't look like there's much going on. But actually, folks, we would be wrong to think that there's no activity of growth. Think of how that reflects the seasons of the Christian life. There are times in our life when everything seems to be going well. Again, we know what it is to walk after the Spirit. We, we seem to be, to be really just, just feeling His closeness and His presence. Things in our life are going well. There's no suffering. There's no uh, kind of periods of unhealth. Work's going well. We're getting on with our colleagues. We're productive. We're focused. We're full of energy. It's like walking through the allotment on that spring day. It feels glorious. It feels like everything's falling into place. But then there are days that feel more like the allotment today. Days that feel bleak. Days that feel muddy and cold and wet. Seasons where everything seems to have a dullness to it. Like that's the color of the allotment at the moment. Gray. We might be experiencing suffering personally in our own lives. Maybe it's in our extended family. Work is hard. People in work are hard. We're tired. Maybe there's relational breakdown. Maybe there's wounds from the past that are haunting us. And in those seasons and on those days, it feels more like winter on the allotment. Here's the thing. One of the most important seasons for fruit is the winter. See, when the cold months come... The cold, the frost, it's a a trigger for the plants to produce enzymes. And the enzymes are being uh, kind of set alive in the root. And those enzymes convert starch into sugar. And that sugar is primed to burst through the soil when the first sun comes in spring. Without that sugar, there would be no fruit. See, actually, winter is a busy season for fruit. You might just not be able to see it. and Folks, we might not think it, but seasons of suffering can be the most fruitful seasons of growing godliness. But it might not look like it. But just think about it for a minute. When everything's going well, when you're getting along with everyone, you don't really need to practice patience. You don't need to practice a Christ-like peace when everything around you is calm. A Christ-like joy against the backdrop of happiness doesn't really stand out as much as a Christ-like joy against a backdrop of pain and sorrow. Maybe more than any other season in our lives, folks, suffering can be an opportunity for the spirit to reveal the beauty of Christ's character. That's why Paul is able to say this in Romans 5. In verse 3, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, outside of the context of the gospel, that doesn't make sense. I rejoice in my sufferings. Like, it'd be quite right to say to Paul, that's crazy. Like, we know Paul's crazy anyway, but but that's really crazy. Like, how can you say that there's joy in my pain? Like, like I'm physically struggling, like it hurts to wake up in the morning. How can you say there's joy in that? How can you say that there's joy when every day I'm contending with anxiety and depression? How can you say there's joy in that, Paul? No, 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 that's not right. How can you say there's joy when trauma comes and pops up and haunts me again from the past? And I thought i dealt with it. How can there be joy in that? How can there be joy when I see a loved one of mine struggling and hurting? How can there be joy when we've been persisting and praying and praying and praying and we just don't see a breakthrough? How can there be joy in that because of what he says next? Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. See, the relationship between suffering and hope, it's endurance, it's persistent, but it's character. And not just any old character, like whose character is Paul really interested in? Christ's. In suffering, as we endure, we become more and more and more like Christ. And as we do, we find a great hope. I know there's been some deep suffering and there is some deep suffering in the life of our church at the moment. Can I say, I've had the joy of seeing how it's made you more like Christ. In your character and in your conduct. As you've suffered, as you've experienced the pain and the brutality of, of living in this world and contending against sin. I've had the joy of seeing how you've been conformed more and more into the image of our Saviour. And that should give us great hope. That should fill us with joy. And we may not see it in the moment, but one day we will be able to look back and see how he has been working in the suffering. I've been able to see you love like Christ, people who are unlovely. I've seen a supernatural joy in the midst of loss that just doesn't look right. But in Christ it does. I've seen some of you embody a Christ-like peace in the midst of turmoil. A patience with children when they are really testing that could only come from the Lord. I've seen some of you embody a kindness that looks like our saviour. Extending kindness towards someone when everything within us should be saying, you should be angry right now. I've seen a goodness in you that looks like Jesus. Choose righteousness instead of sin, even when it's so tempting. I've seen a faithfulness in the midst of the storm when so many people would let go of Christ and you have clung onto him desperately because you have no other hope. But I've seen it, a Christ-like faithfulness. I've seen a gentleness in some of you where others around us might be prone towards aggression. Just a soft, Christ-like gentleness. That warm embrace, that hug, that crying together. I've seen a self-control in many of you. Where in the world, everyone would be like, you have got every right, every right to lose it right now with that person. Every right to pour out anger right now on that person, but you've chosen the way of Christ, the way of self-control. Folks, this side of heaven, we won't fully understand why God allows us to suffer. But his people can be sure that he is good and He is doing something beautiful in the midst of it. He is making us more and more like Jesus. He is making us more and more like the true human that he is. So don't look at the season of struggle if you're right there right now and think that it is wasted. God is working. He has grown you. He is shaping you and he is revealing in you a beauty that we cannot bring about in our own strength. And that should bring you hope. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the beautiful characteristics of Jesus. And it's the beautiful character being revealed by his spirit in every one of his followers. Brothers and sisters, let's not stand in his way. Let us clear out sin, soak ourselves in the gospel, guard against our enemies and have the eyes of faith to see God working in our suffering for our good his glory let's pray Father we believe that you are good and you are glorious we believe as we see from your word over these last few weeks that you desire to show your goodness and your glory through us and we know that we can't do that on our own so we ask for your help we ask for your spirit Holy Spirit come come Change us, transform us, help us to be the people that we have been recreated to be. Redeemed image bearers grow into the character and the conduct of our Saviour Jesus. And Jesus, this is all about you. So we turn our hearts and our affections to you. Make us walk in your power, follow in your spirit, away from sin and towards life we thank you for the beauty that you are revealing in your people we thank you that one day this work will be complete but for now we want to persist we want to endure we want to work hard with the help of your spirit to be those people that you've called us to be and we ask this not for our glory not so that our beauty would spread across this world but for you so that your name So that your gospel, so that the beauty of who you are and what you've done would spread to every corner of this world. And so we ask these things in your name. And again, all for your glory.